Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name's Chris. Um, I attend here with my wife, Melissa, and uh, little daughter, Abby. Um, I, uh, yeah, Paul asks me to preach like once a year nowadays, so um, I don't get up here very often, but love it when I do. Um, I don't have any slides, but I do have a shirt that kind of goes with uh, <laughs> what we're going to be uh, talking on uh, today, uh, and I had to wear it. Um, I actually got this shirt before I knew I was preaching and what I was preaching on, but um, I thought it fit perfectly, so um, yeah. But yeah, so we're going to be uh, diving into Psalm uh, 46 uh, this morning, um, and it, we're going to be kind of basing it on um, a very common phrase, be still and know, um, that we hear all you know, a lot of different places, um, but we're going to dive into um, a lot more of what that means. Uh, this, uh, this topic uh, came to me actually a long time ago. Uh, I was in Michael's, the craft store, and uh, in there was a craft box, and on it was Be Still and Know. I, I just liked the design. I got it for uh, Melissa. This was years ago, um, and I gave it to her. And then a while ago, I was in our closet, and I see this box, and I sat down, and it was kind of in a moment... Uh, of time where I really needed to kind of have that reminder. And so God sort of used that and nudged on my heart and started me down this process of, of diving into what be still and know um, actually means. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. In fact, we're also going to be using it, as I, I didn't mention, I, I work at Madiba uh, kind of helping with the summer staff and summer team. And so we're going to be using be still and know as our uh, summer staff theme as well. So um, all summer we're going to be using a lot of these topics and diving more into it um, as well. Be still and know. Be still and know what? Be still and know that I am God. The verse is found in Psalm 46, um, and we're going to be using the entire psalm uh, to, uh, to talk about this um, as the basis for our, under, for our understanding of why this verse can challenge us, why this verse can comfort us, and why this verse can be used for a deeper understanding of who God is. Let's read Psalm 46. We already did um, right off the bat, which I really appreciate. By the way, uh, the songs picked this morning were like perfect. And I, well, Allison, well done. That was, yeah, that, that was good. Um, but let's, let's read it. And uh, I don't know if we can, but yeah, yeah, we'll put it up on the screen. I, as I said, I don't have slides, but then they planned ahead, so they know me. All right, let's read Psalm 46, um, and then we'll keep going. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray before we go any farther. Dear God, thank you that we can be still. Thank you that we can know you truly and that you've already won. 
that you've already got everything under control, even when the world feels like maybe it doesn't. You already have things under control. I pray this morning that you prepare our hearts for what it is that you uh, want each of us to hear, each of us individually, Lord. There might be every, something little that each one of us takes away from it this morning, something different from everybody else. But Lord, I just speak, I pray that you speak uh, to each of our minds. I pray that uh, my words um, cannot be my own, but that you can speak uh, through me completely uh, what it is that you want me to say and what you want us to hear this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. We're going to start by uh, briefly talking about who wrote Psalm 46 um, and capture a little bit of why it was written. Um, and the psalm was actually not written by David. Uh, if you look at, in your Bible, um, you might see at the top of the psalm, it says, a, a psalm written by the sons of Korah. We don't have time to dive too much into who the sons of Korah were, but I do want to talk a little bit about them, as it kind of helps determine the mindset of the writers, and it gives us a greater understanding of how we can apply it to our lives. To answer who the sons of Korah were, we first need to know who Korah was, which is found in Numbers chapter 16. Um, We're definitely not going to read all of Numbers 16, um, but if you look at this chapter, um, you'll see that Korah is an Israelite, uh, and he's journeying alongside Moses and Aaron. Verse 3 says, they, that's Korah, along with other men, assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Essentially, Korah, alongside other Israelites, they decide to push back against Moses and Aaron, and therefore push back against God. And this pushback was based on the fact that Aaron was going to be a high priest. God had designated Aaron to be the high priest. Korah and his men didn't like that. They pushed back. Uh, They actually wanted to enter the Holy of Holies. They wanted to sort of be the high priest, the guy. Um, And they ignored their own relationship with God. Uh, And they fought against God himself. Korah and his men wanted so badly to be the highest priest. They wanted so badly to enter the Holy of Holies uh, that it actually uh, affected their own relationship with God. This continued to the point uh, where Korah ignores the warnings from Moses. Verse 16, Moses says to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord. The story goes on, and again, big chapter, lots of things to touch on there, but... um, But the story goes on to the point where Korah and his men are literally swallowed up. Verse 32 says, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. Korah pushes against God by fighting against Aaron, who was the clear chosen high priest, and Korah gave his life to this fight. So that's Korah. And we learn through historical records kept within the Bible that though Korah met a tumultuous end, his descendants became and continued to be the gatekeepers of the tabernacle. In 1 Chronicles 9, verse 19, which is a genealogy of uh, um, the exile to Babylon, um, it lists, so it says, Shalom, the son of Kor, son of Abiasaph, son of Korah, and his kinsmen of his father's house, the Korahites, were in charge of the work of the service, keeper of the thresholds of the tent, as their fathers had been in charge of the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. So years later, we learn that the descendants of Korah continue being the gatekeepers of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where God dwelled. As time progresses, we see that as these sons who knew of their father's sins, they knew of their family history, um, the family history of literally being sucked into the earth by the power of God, um, are still the gatekeepers of the tabernacle. 
And it is these sons that write Psalm 46. And it is these sons that actually write 10 other psalms. Um, These sons understand the power of God. They understand who God is. The sons of Korah, the author of of Psalm 46, were in tune with the heart of God. They learned from their great-grandfather's mistakes, and they now write to the Israelites in the form of a psalm. In fact, they write it, as I said, they write at least 11 psalms, which is evidence that their faith in God was clear and articulated. When we first look at the psalm as well, you may notice, depending on what translation you have, that the headline says, A Psalm for Zion. Though this is a little note that we often skip over, it's actually a crucial point to our understanding of the psalm. A Psalm for Zion. The sons of Korah, the gatekeepers of the tabernacle, wrote this psalm for God's holy city. They wrote the psalm for the people of the place where God dwells. That's what Zion means. This is significant because as we read it today, we also can read this as written to us. The new covenant brought on by the death and resurrection of Jesus allows all who believe to have God through the Holy Spirit dwell in us. As we read the psalm, it becomes abundantly clear that the people of Zion, the people of the place where God dwells, and those where God dwells in are safe. God's people are safe. Your soul is secured. Amidst the uncertainty, amidst the chaos, amidst the wars and rumors of wars, if you believe in Jesus and accept that salvation that you have God dwelling in you, you are secure. That's the baseline for everything we do, and it's the baseline for the rest of what we're going to be discussing this morning. Be still and know that I am God. So we've talked a little bit about who wrote it. Um, Now we can break it down uh, for our context. I don't know about you, but whenever um, I used to think about the psalm and hear, be still, I would quickly jump to thinking it's saying, be calm, relax, find peace. There are a lot of elements to this, being a decent translation, um, but an even stronger term, and one that I think encapsulates the essence of what the sons of Korah were saying, is the Hebrew word rapha, which means to be weak, to let go, to release. Rapha means let yourself become weak. Rapha means stop your fighting, stop letting the endless cycle of relying on your own strength to solve problems to get through the day. Rapha means to surrender. That's the word that I believe really hits the mark for the meaning of be still, surrender. There are elements of peace, but even stronger, the psalmist says surrender. Surrender to what? Surrender to God. The sons of Korah understood this. They tell the Israelites through song to surrender. As you see in verse 10, which uh, comes after nine verses that articulate the abundance of God's power amidst the very real realities of the times, the sons of Korah say, God is among us. God has got it. And that means it's time to surrender. As we surrender, we will find peace. We will be able to relax. We will be able to be still. But it starts with us first becoming weak to our own self and surrendering to the power of God. If you continue in these words, you will see and know. So surrender and know. Surrender and know who? Surrender and know God. Surrender and know that I am God. To break down the psalm, the rest of the sermon, we're going to divide divide into five ways that we are challenged to surrender. Five challenges to surrender and know that I am God. 
Five challenges to surrender and let God be Lord of our life because God is already Lord over everything else. The five areas of surrender are surrender and know God in the first place, surrender and give our fears to God, surrender and give every aspect of our life to God, surrender and discover the infinite knowledge of God, and surrender and tell others about God. As we expand on ways of surrendering to God, we start with the very essence of being a part of God's holy nation. We start with the question of, is your life surrendered to God himself? Have you accepted and therefore surrendered to God through a relationship with Jesus? Are you a part of God's dwelling place in the first place? The very essence of the psalm, the very point that the raiders, the sons of Korah, describe is that when we are a part of the dwelling place of God, we can find rest. We can be confident and we are secure. Are you a part of God's dwelling place? Is your soul secured? The truth of the gospel is that those, for all those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, was killed on the cross, and in doing so took our sins upon himself and paid the price for our separation from God, came back to life three days later, and now sits at the right hand of God in heaven until one day he will return. All those who believe and accept this truth and allow God through the Holy Spirit to enter into their life are then a part of God's dwelling place. In fact, we become God's dwelling place on earth. For the sons of Korah and for the Israelites, this dwelling place of God was the tabernacle um, and then the, temper, uh, the temple. Through Jesus and his sacrifice, we don't need the temple, we don't need the tabernacle anymore. Um, we as Christians become the temple, and God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of different examples of, of how God dwells with us, and um, it, a lot of these examples in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, uh, and this is the Apostle Paul, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. Ephesians 2.22, the Apostle Paul also describes a relationship with Jesus, and as a result, us as Christians being God's dwelling place, says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then Peter in the New Testament touches on this in 1 Peter 2.5, saying, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We don't need the temple anymore because we are God's dwelling place. Maybe not, maybe not surrendering is as simple as living life without allowing God to dwell in you, without becoming uh, the dwelling place of God yourself. Maybe this morning is the first time you've heard about God, the first time you've heard about the opportunity to have God dwell with you. If that's the case, there is no better time than now to, to accept it and enter into dwelling with God. And there are 100 people here this morning who would love to talk to you more about what that means. But maybe this morning you sit here and you've heard about God thousands of times before, but for whatever reason have always been a little skeptical. You've never really wanted to believe. Maybe you actively chose not to believe. You've been asleep to the truth um, of God, not actually wanting it to make a difference in your life, not actually wanting this relationship. Guess what? God still chose to come and dwell on earth through Jesus. And now through the Holy Spirit, you can have that access today. God wants to dwell with you as he did for the Israelites and as the psalm writes. All it takes is discover God and then surrender completely. Become weak to your own self and let God take over. As we do this, we will discover you will be able to find peace. We're going to be talking about that more. 
you will be able to be still, not through your own devices, but because of God and his power. The Israelites discovered this. The sons of Korah discovered this. And they knew this through their family history. And we today can also know this. Surrender and discover what it means to dwell with God through a relationship with Jesus. But what about those of us who already know God, who are already dwelling with God? Are we fully surrendered? For many of us here, we are already dwelling with God. Maybe we've known God for most of our life. Maybe we've recently discovered a relationship with God. Maybe we knew God as a child, and then the world kind of got to us. We fell away for a while. Um, And then at some point, we discovered God again and what it means to dwell with God Regardless of which one of these uh, you are, there are times where more surrender is needed. There are areas in our life that we need to let go of. There There are areas of our life that are filled with pride. They're filled with our own desires, our own mind, and we need to surrender to God and allow God to speak in to those things. As we see in this psalm, the sons of Korah wrote to the Israelites to let go, to surrender, and to not fear. Let's look at the first few verses. What does it say? Verse 2 uh, of, again, Psalm 46. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. The psalmist says, don't fear even if the entire earth gives way. If a meteor comes and destroys the earth, if the earth literally melts away into the, into the sea, we do not need to fear. Why? For the Israelites, the why was that they were a part of Zion. They had God dwelling with them. For us, the why is no different. We as Christians have the Holy Spirit who is entirely God dwelling in us. We are God's dwelling place on earth. Even if the entire earth falls away, there is no need to fear. That's the second surrender moment. Surrender and give God your fears. The Apostle Paul talks about this several times. And Pastor Paul actually did a great job reflecting um, on the contentment, the joy that comes with knowing God, no matter what obstacles arise in our life. Our fears no longer need to be there because we have God dwelling in us, dwelling with us. Isn't that amazing? Surrender and give your fears to God. I don't know about you, but so many times we sit in sermons or we listen to a podcast or we hear somebody say, uh, give your fears to God and everything will be okay. It's a really easy sentence to say, but it's a lot harder to live out. Um, A moment of vulnerability for me, uh, but one of the things, one of the major things God's teaching me um, on a very very regular basis is in regards to anxiety. There are countless times in my life, uh, in my day-to-day, that I get paralyzed by anxiety. That the fears of life, even fears that I know are impossible, um, seem so real in my life, and it can make me physically ill. It makes me temperamental. It makes me react in ways that are not me. If I'm in these moments and someone were to say, Chris, just give your fears to God, everything will be okay, it sometimes feels so fake. It doesn't mean it isn't true. God does have it, but the validity of our fears, at least in my own mind, can still be there. Our own mind still tells us that everything may not be okay. We still blow things up in our mind. Maybe there's something very tangible and real happening in our life, that, and the fears are, are merited. For the Israelites, look at this psalm. Very real fears are listed. Verse 6, the nations rage, kingdoms totter. For the Israelites, they are in the middle of war 
upon war, upon war, constantly being bombarded on all sides by physical war. Fears upon fears of destruction and death and uncertainty. Today, as I just mentioned, I speak with complete understanding of this. Definitely not the understanding of the Israelites with the fear of constant war, but an understanding of a constant worry, a constant fear of bad things happening. We have fear upon fear, and some of it includes war and threats of war. Some of it includes natural disasters, but some of the fears include very real sickness, a very real diagnosis, very real financial stress, family struggles, pressures at work, pressures to be someone we are not, fear of something bad happening, fear of uncertainty, fear of so many things. How do we contend with all of this? Well, look at Psalm 46. Surrender and give your fears to God. The sons of Korah in this psalm list a fear, and then they say God is in the midst This entire psalm is a mix of a fear listed and then a statement about God being there, a statement about the power of God. This entire psalm is a song of celebration, but also a song of reverence to the all-powerful God who has all of creation in his hands and is in control of all things. It's a song of jubilation, but it's also a song of incredible worship to our all-powerful God. The sons of Korah know all about this reverence, again, through their family history, the psalm is a, it, it, it's a list of a fear and then a statement about God and his power. We can do the same thing when we read this psalm. We can, we can take our very real fears and then plug in what the psalmist says about God. Our fear of natural disaster, the psalm says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Our fear of sickness, God utters his voice, the earth melts. Our fear of financial struggles, the Lord of hosts, is with us. Our fear of death, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Fear of nuclear disaster, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. Fear of blank, you can insert any fear that you have. Be still and know that I am God. The very real fears of the Israelites can be placed at the feet of a God who is in control. Our very real fears can be placed at the feet of God as we fully surrender to his power. Notice the beginning of the psalm again, even if the earth gives way. Giving our fears to God does not mean that that bad thing won't happen. Unfortunately, we still live in a fallen world. And the broken world is filled with despair. It's filled with war, with sickness, with uncontrollable events, with uncertainty. But as we lean into God, as we lean into the truth that God dwells with us, as he did with the Israelites, we can know that even if the earth implodes, our souls are secure for eternity because of God. We have God dwelling with us. Our souls are secure. Be still, surrender, and know that I am God. Surrender and know that your soul is secured. Surrender and don't fear because God. Now, coming back to the very real anxieties of the world and this fear that I mentioned, part of dwelling with God and part of surrendering to God means allowing God to come into, to penetrate those areas in our life that maybe we hold back. Part of conquering our own fears is to allow God's light to shine in even when it's difficult and even if it hurts. This is something that I'm constantly working at. And I stand up here today, uh, someone definitely not perfect, and someone who quite literally gets plagued with anxieties more than you probably know. God is teaching me a lot through it. 
But the first, thing he, uh, the first thing he started teaching me was to be aware of it. I've started naming my fears. I've started uh, naming my anxieties tangibly. I've started speaking about the fact that it happens. There was a long time in my life that I thought I couldn't mention that I'm secretly scared because I thought I needed to have it all together, or at least have the appearance of having it all together. Instead, God says, no, tell someone. Talk about it. First, you can talk to God, but, uh, but also to some trusted people around you as the time comes and as God provides. The third aspect we need to surrender to and let God is to give every aspect to God. Surrender and give it all to God. Not just the parts that are public, not just the easy parts, and definitely not just on Sundays. Surrender and be still and give every aspect to God. For me, a big piece of this is my fears and anxieties. God is teaching me to surrender and give them to God. As I have started to do this, God is teaching me um, that that means naming the fears, talking to people, not hiding from it. This is hard work and something that I'm still working on and and probably will be working on for the rest of my life. That's my surrender moment in terms of giving every aspect to God, and there are a lot more. What's yours? Surrender and give God your addictions. Surrender and give God your marriage. Surrender and give God your finances. Surrender and give God your anxieties. Surrender and give God that secret sin that you don't want anybody knowing about. Surrender and give God your work. Surrender and give God your mind as you get sucked into the internet, to social media, to TV. Surrender and give these things to God. As we surrender to this and give them to God, it means hard work. Each one of these things might be a lifelong battle. But as we battle it out, as we give it to God, we can trust God that freedom will come from it. As we put the work in to rid our minds of sinful desires, as we surrender to break out of an addiction, as we surrender to allow God to, more, uh, to enter more into our family, more into our marriages, as we surrender to let God into the very real fears, as I surrender and allow God uh, to work with me on, uh, on my anxieties, we can find rest. That's where the still word creeps in so much. Be still. Find rest in God because he is bigger than all of these things. As we surrender, we will find rest. Surrender and let God. Surrender and give every aspect to God. Be still and know that I am God. The fourth aspect of surrendering, the fourth aspect of being still, is to surrender to our knowledge of God. The verse says, be still or surrender and know. Surrender to the knowledge of God. Surrender, lay down, become weak to our own knowledge, become weak to our own pride, and give in to the greater knowledge of God. Surrender to trying to, surrender to, trying to push through using our own mechanisms and instead give it to God. Sure, God can use our own abilities, God can use our own knowledge, but it is through the work of God, through the Holy Spirit in our life, and us surrendering to the will of God, and surrendering to the knowledge of God, and what he does uh, for our life, that we are able to discover the abundance of what the relationship with God means on our life. Discover more, and more, and more, and more, and more about God. This knowledge starts with first leaning into the fact that we have access to dwell with God. The very nature of this knowledge creates the certainty of our salvation, that our souls are secured, but it doesn't stop there. After finding this core piece of knowledge, after we enter into dwelling with God as his hands and feet on earth, 
We need to continue to grow in the knowledge of who he is and how uh, him dwelling in us should and can change us. So often, um, at least for me, we kind of put the knowledge of God on cruise control. We say, ah, I know God. I go to church. I pray before meals. I open my Bible. I'm good. We need to, to wake up to discover more and more knowledge of God. Be still and know. Rest and lean into knowledge of God. Surrender your own devices. Surrender your own knowledge. Surrender your own pride and discover more about God. For the Israelites, both before, during, and after the, this psalm was wrote, they constantly discovered more about God. Now, some of that was sort of by default, as they would make a mistake or they would argue, or, um, they would wander and God stepped in. But part of that was also trusting that God did, in fact, dwell with them, and they were able to witness incredible things and find knowledge of God. For us today, our knowledge of God does not stop at our moment of salvation. Yes, our souls are secured. We know that. But part of dwelling with God means beginning to grasp the immeasurable knowledge that is a relationship with God. The Bible says that we will spend an eternity learning more and more about God. An eternity. It starts for us today on earth. As we discover more about God, it will equip us on earth with God's help to handle the various circumstances that come our way. The Apostle Paul never stopped seeking after God. He never stopped trying to find knowledge of God. Jesus never stopped seeking after his heavenly father and would often go um, off onto his own and, and, and talk, to, talk to God. Colossians 1, 21 to 23 is an example of this. Um, it says, once we were alienated, we were hostile in mind, we were doing evil deeds. God has reconciled. He has made us holy and blameless and above reproach. That's the essence um, of the security of our souls. We were once apart from God, and through Jesus, we are made holy. Our souls are secured even as the earth fades away. But verse 23, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, so long as you continue in the faith, not wavering from the hope of the gospel. Yes, we are secure with God, but we also need to continue in the faith. We also need to continue discovering more of the knowledge of God. As we do this, it will help us not waver when those times get tough. As soon as we think we know something, as soon as we sit back and let life come at us thinking we're all set, that's when we will quickly discover that we need more knowledge of God. Be still and know. Surrender and find more knowledge. Surrender and discover more knowledge of God. Be still and know that I am God. Knowledge of God means many things. It means quiet time with God, praying, fasting, discovering scripture. It means coming to church, participating in church, having conversations with people. It means accountability for those pieces in our life that we need to give to God. It means memorizing scripture. It means many, many, many things. And uh, each of us will find different tools and different ways that we can get more knowledge of God and, and different ways that... Um, different tools that, apply, that can work for us. And if you need help with finding resources of finding more knowledge with God, again, there's lots of people here that can help with that. Maybe there is an area of your life that you just can't shake. That's a great place to start applying more and more knowledge of God. As we do, as we lean into this knowledge, God will meet us where we are at and provide insights in his time. The Holy Spirit will take hold of our life in ways unimaginable. As the Israelites leaned into the knowledge of God, they discovered his power countless times. As we lean into the knowledge of God, those areas of our life that we stress, those anxieties I talked about, 
those sins we can't shake will begin to be lifted. Why? Because God. Because God, the Lord of hosts, is with us. Because God dwells with us, and he has already got it. As all of this happens, as we surrender to first knowing that God can dwell with us, as we surrender and give our fears to God, as we surrender and let go and, and, and let God into every area of our life, and as we surrender and lean more and more into the knowledge of God and less and less on our own knowledge and our own pride, it will then make us want to quite literally shout it from the rooftops. The fifth aspect of surrendering is, is to surrender and tell others. If you look at the psalm, it's, it's a song. It's a song of rejoicing that God is dwelling with them. It's a song of rejoicing that despite the earth fading away, despite the wars around them, despite the uncertainty, they are secure in God. They have God dwelling with them. And the catalyst of all of that is verse 10 when it says, Be still and know that I am God. But verse 10 also goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Surrender, become weak to your own pride, and exalt God to the ends of the earth. Be still and celebrate God. Don't hide away with this knowledge and keep it to yourself. Exalt and celebrate. Dance, shout, sing. So many other psalms are are celebration of this very uh, rejoicing. You can look at the very next psalm, Psalm 47. It was also written by the sons of Korah. The very uh, beginning says, Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? Verse 12. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, great king over all the earth. Surrender and celebrate God. Surrender and exalt God. Tell others. Our mission as Christians is to go and make disciples. Once we discover our dwelling with God, we then have a very real task of bringing as many people as we can into dwelling with God. So often our pride gets in the way of exalting God. Sure, in our mind, maybe we say, thanks God, or we quietly pray in a restaurant before a meal. But in our minds, we're thinking, oh, I really hope the waitress doesn't come in the middle of this prayer. It'd be kind of weird. So often our pride or our own insecurities stop us from being bold and approaching someone about what it means to dwell with God. So often we don't fully surrender and exalt God over everything. At church, we worship God, we sing the words, but are we actually surrendering, or are we just sort of melding the words to a catchy tune? So often we go to work and someone asks us what we did on the weekend, and we tell them everything else except the fact that we went to church. So often we feel a nudge on our hearts to tell someone about God, and then our pride or our insecurities get in the way, and we don't surrender to God, We don't surrender and exalt God at that moment, and that moment passes. Once we discover our dwelling place with God, we need to exalt him. We need to surrender and exalt God over all things. First, we discover our dwelling place with God, that we're secure. Second, we give our fears to God because we are secure. Third, we allow God into every nook and cranny of our life and put in the work that God uh, teaches us as he does. Fourth, and and tied to all of these, is discovering more and more and more and more and more and more knowledge of God, and we'll spend an eternity doing that, so that we can be equipped to tell others. As our fears are given to God, our mind can be freed to show others. As we are vulnerable with each other, God can use that to support each other. Maybe there's someone sitting in this room that has the same fears and anxieties as you. And as you are vulnerable and trust God, God uses that, and you can support each other in that vulnerability. God can use all of the chaos. God does use all of the chaos of the world 
for his glory. He did that for the Israelites, quite literally revealing his powerfulness in profound ways. And again, you can pour into the Old Testament and see profound ways that God uh, showed his powerfulness. Be still and know that I am God. Surrender and exalt God because you are secure, and so can everyone else. As we conclude this morning, we're going to do something just a tiny bit sort of different. We're going to meditate on this psalm once again. I'm going to read it slowly. Um, And as I do, um, we'll get you to close your eyes at some point. I'll tell you when. Um, Ignore everyone around you and allow God to speak to you. You'll notice that there there are three chunks. um, And uh, in each chunk of the psalm, there's a a, a little word that says Selah. Um, Those are actually musical breaks. And the writer of the psalm uses them as a way of saying, now pause and think about that. We're going to do this this morning. Are there aspects in your life that you need to surrender to and invite God to dwell into more? Are there fears and anxieties that you need to surrender and let God have? Are you resting in the knowledge that God is with you? Is God truly Lord of your life, Lord of your fears, Lord of your anxieties, Lord of your habits, Lord of your decisions to the point where you literally become weak and surrender to your own strength and lean into God's. For the next couple minutes as I read this psalm, close your eyes and repeat the simple words, be still and know that I am God. Relax and trust God. Surrender and give it to God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What stirred in your heart? That was God. The same God who was with the Israelites, the same God who makes the earth tremble, this all-powerful God who we should fear loves us. This all-powerful God who makes wars end, who makes mountains tremble, is dwelling here with us this morning and can dwell with you personally. What's amazing is he wants to dwell with you personally. As God dwells in you, he becomes exalted and we become secured. No matter what happens in our life, 
No matter if the entire Earth gets sucked up by an Amazon-funded, Elon Musk-created, government-exempt super Tesla, God's got it. Let God dwell with you. Let God in to all aspects. Surrender and let God be Lord of your life. As we do this, that phrase, be still and know, becomes more clear. There is peace to the phrase. There is a sense of calmness to the phrase. Not because everything on earth is fine. Not because we have everything together. And not through anything we did. No, be still and know that the all-powerful God is God. Be still and know God truly. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray. Father God, there is a lot to unpack in this, um, and I probably put too much into this, but um, what's important to know uh, is to surrender to you, to surrender to your power that you've already got it. As our life gets goes round and round, as the chaos of the world comes at us, as every day we wake up and maybe dread what's coming next, Lord, we can turn to you. We can be secured because you are dwelling with us, Lord. And I pray that we can find rest in that and find peace in that and trust in you in that way. Father God, I pray that those pieces in our life that maybe we're not allowing you into, those pieces in our life that um, we allow fear to get into, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we can give it to you. And Lord, that you can, can flood into our life, that we can become still, that we can surrender, and that we can learn more about who you are, learn more about your knowledge, so that we can be Uh, so that we can find peace and find rest because we are secured in you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. And uh, yeah, just thank you for um, your incredible words and your incredible power in our life. Amen.